This is Live Well Talk on Medicine, Color, Culture, and Equity. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Unity Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Today's podcast is another installment in our mini-series where we discuss topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Returning to the podcast today is Dr. Stephen Padron, Physician at Unity Point Clinic Maternal Fetal Medicine, to discuss Black maternal health, patient-centered care, and solutions he's seen in his practice. Welcome back. Hey, how are you, Dustin? I'm well. You know, I, I, Steve, I mean, it's clear, it is measurable that uh, Black uh, peri- perinatal mortality and maternal health uh, is, uh, is, is worse than uh, compared to the uh, Caucasian population. And I'd like to just kind of approach that today from your standpoint, uh, how you see the discrepancy and what we could possibly do about it. Um, I think, you know, I think we, we, we want to be careful we don't measure, take an outcome and not look at it scientifically and see how we can figure out this problem. Because whether or not you believe it's systemic racism or not, it's a fact, it's there, it's measurable, we gotta do something about it. Right, you want me to respond? Yeah, what has been your experience? It depends on your, first, yes, it's all scientific, it just depends on your definition of of the science. What's the science? If your science is sociology and your science is economic, and historic and institutional and baked in, then yes, there's definitely disparity. There's a big problem. If your science is biologic and is there a difference between the black patient's propensity to have a bad outcome compared to the Caucasian patient? Doubt it. I don't think that's there. I think it's all social and economic. That That's, that's my... Uh casual observation of that. Um, I, I mean, I know that, you know, they can list things as eating habits, uh, obesity, uh, smoking, uh, prenatal care, uh, alcohol consumption, but those are all problems in the white population too. I mean, yep. it's not like that's limited to black people, but it, it, it truly is present. Um, what, what has been your experience with, let's just start with nutritional deficits that you see in your patient population as compared to perhaps a more affluent population? Oh man, that's a great question. If you, let's just take one, let's just take your average population. Even if there is a difference in eating habits, there there's a reason for their difference in eating habits. Again, that's baked in, it's social, it's cultural, it's something that is developed in our society as a consequence of X, whatever that X is, economics, living conditions, food deserts, areas that don't have good access to food. I think all of that is societal. Let's take a specific population though of our African immigrant population. We have huge dietary challenges in that population because they're just, I don't know, aren't enough African grocery stores, or there's a difference in the content of African food. There's a higher prevalence of carbohydrate, which predisposes to glucose intolerance in pregnancy. So I think any way you slice it, there's a big cultural and societal difference. Is that answering you know, your question, I, Dustin? Yeah, you did. I mean, it, it, well, you reinforce one of my prejudices is that if patients that live on Country Club Drive are less likely to get readmitted than the patient lives on someplace on the southeast side of Cedar Rapids from, uh, you know, the 800 block to the 15th. Uh, 1500 block. That, that, that's just, an, that's, that's an observation. 
and I think part of it is social uh, situation, a social network support system. I know we won't find one single solution to this problem, but we got to keep trying. And I, I refuse to give up just out of my competitiveness. Uh, I like to win and I want to keep driving forward on this. Uh, I will say, having grown up in poverty, uh, you your reward system is different. You know, we would I, it, when the tax return would come in, you know, May, we got Kentucky Fried Chicken. We never got that. You know, so that so you celebrated. We didn't go on vacation someplace, right? Uh, we 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 celebrated with some sort of uh, well, I'm just going to say it, gluttony of food yeah. uh, as a celebratory uh, event. And I think that is also some of the things that people that are in poverty do that too. You know, that that's just a social thing that they can reward themselves. And therefore, I think eating poorly uh, just follows with poverty, quite honestly, uh, despite all the measures that we put in place, particularly school nutrition, breakfast and lunch, and uh, the backpack program here in the Cedar Rapids schools, highly successful and worth the effort. But we still see poor nutrition uh, in, in the, uh, adolescent population that goes into adulthood um, yeah food is a reward if your if your reward food is kentucky fried chicken as opposed to a salad that's you know a salad at a country club let's say really just put a stark contrast there then that's going to affect your health here's another concept that i'm keen on and have been for a while and that's the concept of weathering and the concept of weathering says that the environment that you're exposed to takes its toll. It has its effect on your catecholamines, your epinephrine, your norepinephrine, your cortisol. It raises your blood pressure. It causes you to be predisposed to a variety of illnesses. This concept of weathering just wears African-American patients down. It wears patients of color down. It wears down their system, their body, their constitution to predispose them to more illnesses. And just just as a, a hopeful example, maybe, let's take a look at um, OB shortage, OB the provider shortage in rural areas, which is us. That absolutely hits patients of color where they live. They live, they don't live in affluent areas. They don't have access to care. They don't have transportation. They can't get to their provider. There is tremendous opportunity to provide more providers for those patients, but the entire society needs to step up and work on those those tools for those patients. I'm preaching a little bit. Yeah, no, I, you're absolutely right. And I think it's something as sheltered Midwestern suburbia, uh, which we we are uh, for the most part, um, we, we, we're just not aware of it. It's not that we, we, we want it to happen to people, but, you know, I can confidently tell you that neither me or my loved ones will be the victim of a drive-by shooting this weekend. Yeah. And can you imagine going in the weekend and be a mother of, let's say, three kids, knowing that you live on the south side of Chicago, knowing that that's a risk factor for the weekend, you know, knowing you can't be with your children the whole time? I mean, that's just, that's mind-boggling. Uh, I mean, we, you we don't have that stress. Yep, yes, we exactly. Have stress. Most, of, most of the stress we have on uh, is self-induced. Uh, and, uh, it just, I'll, that'll be another podcast. Yeah. But, so first that first, that's a real danger. You know, you might get shot second, that stress you're nailing it. That stress is what takes its toll. That stress of living in the environment 
that wears you down. That's unmeasurable. This uh, there's an author, amazing author, who worked on this, Geronimus. That sort of stress wears you down, and pound for pound, pardon the expression, these patients have a shorter lifespan. These patients that are subjected to that stress have a shorter life lifespan because of cardiovascular disease, because of malignancy. I'm making up some of these disorders, but for sure, cardiovascular disease is more prevalent in that group. And I, and I think we a lot of times we live in our bubble too. We don't understand that this is going on. Um, I saw a special one time on West Virginia and Appalachia, and it was an Indian physician that said that, you know, he grew up in India and he said, this is worse poverty than I had where I came from that is thought to be, you know, systemic generational poverty. And it was interesting because you don't, you think about, you don't think about that. And I think that has a lot of ramifications um, when you're impoverished. It's, it's hard. Transportation is a big issue I see with patients, white or black. Uh, it's, it's hard to get around, uh, the, the, uh, the bus system doesn't always stop at uh, healthcare places. I do know that I just recently did it with the flu influenza vaccine, the Cedar Rapids um, it, transportation, the Cedar Rapids buses. They do have a category where, where they, they try to hit healthcare. You can click on it and you can know which buses go by what healthcare facilities, clinics, pharmacies, et cetera. So it does allow a patient to, if they have access to the internet, to look at that and try to figure that out. Yeah, you know, I was thinking when you um, were talking about the difference between other countries, say third world countries, shortly after we started this practice in 2018, we had a patient who, this is when all the, this is when there was this huge influx, this group of um, people who were walking up through Mexico from Central America, remember that? Yeah. One of the patients who came to our practice was this HIV positive patient who had, uh, who was cachectic. I mean, she was just skinny as a rail. And we asked, I asked this patient with the translator, of course, how'd you get here? And she said she came from, I don't know, Nicaragua, I think, or maybe it was Venezuela. I mean, she came a long way. How'd you get here? I walked. The answer, her answer was I walked. Then she got here and she got whatever really cool but small amount of support we give our immigrant patients when they arrive and she's sitting alone in her apartment with no family she's starving she's starving to death she made it to america bought the you know bought the lottery ticket made it to america walked up here and then she's sitting in an apartment starving to death because she can't afford food here that's tragedy yeah well and i i think if you as a as an internist if i had any idea how many the percentage of my patients uh, that are choosing between food and medications on a daily basis, I probably would quit if I really knew the percentage. I probably would just say it's, I, I give up. Because um, I, I know it's high. I know it's high. Yeah, I've had maternal deaths, no exaggeration that, um, you know, they died because they couldn't afford their medication. Why? Because they're buying cereal for their kids. So really, to, to address this issue, we, we, we do have to, it really does, it's not the single thing, um, but poverty is just simply cannot be ignored. Um, and you can't, I think, I think you're foolish if a physician, if you walk into the exam room and you treat the impoverished patient the same as the affluent patient, from a standpoint of expectations and building the doctor-patient relationship, you are set up to fail because what you, the advice you give to one 
may be successful where it might not be the other. And I think you really have to understand the difference in that, regardless of skin color, but maybe more so in the black population. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that we are obligated as a society to step up and help. I think we're obligated as a system to work on policies and processes that provide access to care. But I think we're obligated as providers to connect, to ask them what is happening with you today. Your blood pressure may be a problem, your diabetes may be a problem, but what's up with you today? How are you feeling? If they're feeling frightened because a storm blew their apartment apart and they don't have a place to stay, we can't expect to do anything with their hypertension diabetes until we address that. I think on that fundamental level as providers, we have to at least ask the question so we know what they're feeling. We may not be able to change it, but at least we can start to connect with them a little bit and get at what's really happening in their world. Yeah, I mean, if, if you don't consider that social capital is what I re- how I describe it, um, and you simply the you're gonna you may have to compromise your medical treatment plan for that. Uh, the the you know let's just take something really common. The insulin regimen for the affluent patient is different than that for the patient that is stressed with finances. Yeah. you know, and if you. Yeah provide the same to both of them, you might as well not even have seen the other patient because it's not going to work. And I I think that's, and I am happy, uh, not happy, I don't know if that, I'm optimistic, but let me say it that way, that we're starting to integrate thinking about social capital in our patients. Uh, That's not something you learn in medical school. That's not something that's in articles. I think I see more of it in articles than previously. Uh, I think experience builds on that as well, but it's something that really wasn't considered 10, 15 years ago. You know, every patient the same. I mean, I've always said that you have you have two doctor-patient relationships. You have the fraternal, and that's a patient that you have to be their buddy and solve problems, their brother. And then you have the paternal, and that's where you just you say, look, no, you're going to take this medicine. And some patients want that. You know, doc, just tell me what to do. Okay. And if and you have to be able to adapt that depending on what the patient's personality is. And I think that's even highlighted more when you start to have this lack of uh, this deficit of social capital. Yeah, the older I get, the less paternal I am. I don't think that works real well. I think that the fraternal, if you can get an edge and you can connect, the fraternal is much more efficacious. But you're right in a crisis. Patients want to just be told what to do. If it's down to brass tacks, yep, you got to just tell them, look, my wife or daughter, this is how I would handle it. Question is, where are we going to go from here? You know, how are we going to, how do we just change the talk into action? You know, there are systems where Medicaid, for example, Medicaid, Medicare steps up and they pay, they put out, they fork out for, for housing, for transportation, for employment opportunities. And I think we're going to need to turn it around. We're going to need to turn the model that we're in right now big time in order to really address these problems, Dustin. Otherwise, I don't think, I think it is just talk. Yeah, and uh, yes, and I I know we've had some, yes, we've certainly had some events this past year that have put this in the forefront, 
and we, we can't take our eye off the ball. And these are long-term solutions. These aren't stuff that's going to be changed next week. No. You know, I mean, the, the deficit of African-American physicians uh, is significant. It's disproportionate to the population of roughly 12%. Not 12% of the doctors are African-American. Okay. Hmm. And that, that's not to say that you can... If you don't have a doctor that's your same ethnic group, you can't get good care. But there is a connection there, like you said, fraternal. Uh, but that's that's an 18. That's a generational solution. I mean, you can't fix that in the next week. That's you can start tomorrow, but you're not going to see return on your investment for 16 years to 18 years. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't try. No, now, you, have a, you have a you. I saw a flyer. You have an event coming up regarding uh, black maternal health or uh, I do. Program. What, tell me about that. Well, that's a black kin, a celebration of black kin conference. And I was invited to be on a panel for that conference. I think the word is out there that we care about this, that our practice cares, that our system cares about this. And we do. And I think the word is out on disparity. And I think the word is out that in our specialty in obstetrics, if we're ever going to contend with this issue of disparity, that shortage of providers of color, that's never going to get fixed, fixed in the physician population. In our specialty, that'll only get fixed in the nurse midwifery population. So I think that they know that I'm a, an advocate of nurse midwifery and that, that I also see that as a nurse midwives of color as a really promising solution to delivering care in a disparate culture. I think that they just know that I'm listening, Dustin, and that my mind is open and that I'm trying to change. I'm trying to become culturally competent. I'm trying to become gender competent, gender fluent. You know, there's so much that's happening and there's so much language and there's so much eye-opening material out there right now. I think that somebody just heard that I was game to listen. That's all. Well, I, I, that's certainly believable. You've always been a good colleague and uh, collaborative uh, on such things. And and I, I, I'm optimistic uh, that, that things can be improved, but it is a long-term solution with not only financial, but also academic and thoughtful investments to make it return. Uh, and we just can't get discouraged. Hmm. Okay. I'm going to try not to be discouraged then. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to work on that. I am the eternal optimist, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's hard these days. You know, we're all really trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to be optimistic these days. And so I'll take any encouragement I can get. That's cool. Well, any, I'm, I'm, my door's always open if you need. Uh, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Encouragement. Uh, but uh, uh, th this has been great information. Always great to have discussion with you, Steve, on these topics. Uh, thank you for joining me today. That was uh, Dr. Stephen Padrone, physician at UniPoint Clinic Maternal Fetal Medicine, discussing black maternal health. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well. <laughs>